pray in the name of Jesus Christ, who was never in a hurry. We pray, oh God, that you will help us to, to slow us down. For we know that we sometimes live too fast. Uh, with all of eternity before us, uh, make us take time to live. Time to get acquainted with you. Uh, time to enjoy your blessing. Time to, for each other, which is so precious. So be with us as we study your word. Uh, may you continue to uh, stimulate us and challenge us and encourage us. We thank you. Uh, we ask all this in Jesus' name. This morning, I want to talk about discouragement. Discouragement. Uh, because in Nehemiah chapter 4, it deals with handling discouragement. Some of the causes and some of the cures of discouragement are spelled out in Nehemiah chapter 4. I have eight points for you, uh, five points on the causes of discouragement, and three points on the cures of discouragement. And under the causes of discouragement, we can further divide it into external causes of discouragement and internal causes of discouragement. Uh, external causes of discouragement, I have two points. And internal discouragement, I causes of discouragement, I have three points. And then I have cures of discouragement based on this passage. Of course, there are other points we can take into consideration from other passages of the Bible, but I'm just strictly wanting to stick to uh, Nehemiah chapter 4. If we stop at chapter 3, which we finished last week, we would get the impression that the work on the wall went on without a problem, without a snack. Uh, so and so built this gate, and these people built a wall to this point, and next to them, these people built a wall. It seems like so smooth. But when we come to chapter 4 to 6, all the challenges, all the opposition, all the problems begin to surface. And we are going to see over the next couple of months how Nehemiah handles all this thing. Particularly in chapter 4, how he handles the people who are discouraged. How is he going to do that? And he got some very good pointers for us here. But I want to read through chapter 4 first. And you're going to see chapter 4 with setbacks. Because chapter 3 is advanced. And then beginning chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, there's a setback. And then there's an advance. And then there's a setback. Advance, setback, advance, setback, advance, setback. It is right throughout chapter 4 to 6, which tell us that is part of life. You have a bit of advance, and there will be a setback. Then you push again, advance. Then there's some setback. Advance, setback, advance, setback. This is the continuation of life, Christian life. And so I just want to take you to take note as I read through chapter 4. Remember chapter 3 is advancing as they begin to rebuild the wall. Look at chapter 4, 1 to 3 now, and you see the setback. All right? When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. This is what he said. And, it, and not just only ridiculed, but he ridiculed it in the presence of his associates and the entire army of Samaria because he's the governor of Samaria. And then he said this. This is how he ridiculed. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burn as they are? 
And then Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, huh, what are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it would break down their wall of stones. So you see the setback, and then you look at the advance. And then Nehemiah said, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people work with all their heart. So that's the advance. And look at the setback now. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. Advance. But we prayed to our God and posted to a guard, posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, this is a setback again, the strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, before they know it or seize us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and to put an end to the work. And then the Jews who lived near them came and told us, how many times? Ten times! Not once, all right? Ten times. Because they're crippled with fear. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Ten times. Therefore, from 13 onwards, is the advance again. From setback now to advance. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. After I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the war, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armor. The officers posted themselves behind the peoples of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other. And each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. And then I said to the nobles and officers and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out. And we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, Join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. 
at, the, at that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Man, they don't have to sleep. Neither I nor my brothers nor any man nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Oh dear. Each had his weapon even when he went for water. There you go. I want to mention three things before I give you the causes and cures for discouragement. First and foremost, uh, causes and cures for discouragement. First and foremost, I want to tell you that discouragement, it is universal. Anyone here has never been discouraged before? Could you please come and see me? I want to know how. Anyone here has never been discouraged before? It is a universal problem. None of us are immune to discouragement. And maybe if you know more about me, I'm prone to that as well. Everyone you have ever known has been discouraged at one time or another. And some uh, are more than others, particularly if you are in leadership. So it is a universal problem. You need leadership can be parents, huh? your leadership over your children. You get discouraged when you see your children do certain things that you don't approve. You get discouraged. Uh, so it is a universal problem. Number two, it is recurring problem. Uh, it is not like you overcome once and then that's it. It is a recurring problem. It will forever be there until the day you die. You overcome it just like there's a setback, there's an advance, there's a setback, there's an advance, there's a setback, there's an advance. Discouragement, overcoming it is a recurring problem. It is always there. It is not like it only happened once and then that's it. It's not like some sort of the illness that you suffer, chicken pox or something like that. You have it once and then that's it for the rest of your life. Uh, is it true? Eh? Not true, is it? Chicken pox, you can have it more than once. So what illness you have only once? Shingles? I don't know. Anyway, uh, I leave it to the medical profession. I'm, I'm not, I'm a pastor. Uh, it is a recurring problem. It, it, discouragement is a universal. I may be discouraged tomorrow after preaching this sermon. Uh, you don't know. It's a recurring problem. You just didn't have a setback and advance, setback, advance. This is just normal. And thirdly, we also need to know that discouragement is highly contagious. It is highly contagious. Discouragement spreads by even casual contact. People can become disheartened because you are discouraged. You can be bummed out because other people are discouraged. It is highly contagious. It spread very easily. And so this morning, we're going to focus on both the causes and cures for discouragement and see how Nehemiah handled it and how we may be able to apply it in our own lives as well. So let's first and foremost look at the external causes of discouragement. External causes of discouragement. The war workers were initially very excited any project can be excited we all know that you can get excited over things very fast whether or not we can maintain that interest and the excitement is always the problem how do you maintain that kind of motivation and to me the, the most difficult about Christian life is how do you maintain your hunger that's it how do you maintain that external causes 
of discouragement. People work with all their hearts and things are beginning to happening. And here comes the first external causes of discouragement. And that one is ridicule. Uh, ridicule. Uh, ridicule can cause discouragement because you have some ideas you want to put into place and then ridicule come in. Mockery come in. Sarcasm come in. It will just kill off the kind of desire. And here you see Sambalat, when he heard that they were rebuilding the war, he became very, very angry. He ridiculed the Jews. Four things he said about the work. Firstly, he's and not only he ridiculed among himself, he ridiculed in the presence of his associate, the entire army of Samaria. When you talk to people, you, the greater chance of ridicule is higher, isn't it? You know, when you talk to people, you kind of rub it in, you know, and, and people feed it in, and then more and more and more. And firstly, he said, what are those fevered, fevered Jews doing? What do you think they're doing? What do you think they're doing? They are feeble Jews. You know, feeble means withered and miserable. You know, these Jewish people. You know, they just came back. What do you think they are doing? They are nobody. Do you think they can rebuild the wall, really? And then, will they restore their wall? They mock their optimism, isn't it? You want to build a wall? Will they actually bake it? I think when he said that, the whole Samaritan army workers, they all would be laughing away. It has been said that uh, uh, people will stand at bravery, but they become soft when uh, you, they are being laughed at. People have, have an issue when they are being laughed at. Uh, so will they restore their war? Is mocking their optimism. And then will they offer sacrifices? Under that is their thanksgiving when the war is rebuilt. Will they offer sacrifices? Actually, some Bella is saying that it will take more than prayer and worship to rebuild the war. You think your God will help you? If your God really will help you, look at how long it takes. Look at the past. How come you weren't able to rebuild the war? Will they offer sacrifices? It's mocking at the, their prayer and worship that it is take more than prayer and worship to rebuild the city. Will they finish in a day? Undermine their confidence? Suggest that the workers had no idea how difficult the task was and they believed that it would soon stop what they were doing. Isn't it true? Undermine that. Were they finished in the day? Will you actually do it? It cast to start to cast doubts on, on them. And then lastly, lastly, they say, Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Just magnify their problem, isn't it? Can they bring these stones back to life? Look at the heaps of rubble that's lying there in the past that's been destroyed. Burn down. Can they actually bring these stones back to life again? And then verse 3, enter not some Balat now. Another guy called Tobiah, the Ammonite, who was by his side, his assistant, who is the governor of Ammon, Ammon say what they are building, even a fox climbing up on it will break down their wall of stones. Can you imagine? Just one fox on it. The stone one fox stand on it only it will collapse really. but you know what archaeological excavation on these walls reveal that these walls were actually nine feet nine foot thick nine foot thick these walls 
I reckon it will take more than a small fox to knock them down. So the workers became the punchline of every joke, and everyone got a laugh at their expense. Tobiah hoped that his sarcasm would make the builders cast an apprehensive glance at their hard work and activate within them an avalanche of discouragement. You know what you're doing? Forget it, man. Even, the, even after you have built, just one fox stand there, you will collapse. You know, incidentally, when you remember who these enemies of Israel are, you get a strong sense of deja vu, isn't it? Sambalat, which is the governor of Samaria, and that is the area of Palestine, which we now call West Bank. Tobiah is the representative of the country of Ammon, which is now known as Jordan. And then you have the coalition Arabs and the men of Ashdod. Uh, Ashdod is part of what today we call Gaza Strip. Uh, it is most interesting that history has repeated itself in our day. And so it is still surrounded by all these enemies. But friends, whatever, whenever you attempt to get involved in the work of God, you will always face ridicule. Expect it and don't stop working. Yeah? Expect it and don't stop uh, working because ridicule is always and always there. And sometimes, I was telling someone this week, I said, if, I ha if, I, if there's one supernatural gift that I don't want, you know what is it? If there's one supernatural gift that I don't want, is that I will have a bionic ear able to hear what people are talking about me behind my back. I don't want to have. Because if you know of it, nothing will be done. And so you should have as well. That is the gift that you don't want to have. You will die from it. If you want to hear about what people are talking behind your back, you'll be dead. You won't survive. You won't survive. You won't even come to church anyway. And so that's one gift that I don't want to have. And I don't think that's a gift you should desire as well. Because people will always talk. And many, many people are very, very unkind. Believe me. Very, very unkind. And so, don't have that gift. Don't listen to ridicule. There will be people out there who will ridicule you for wanting to do whatever you want to do. They will always be there. Haven't I told you the story about the frog? Yeah? Remember the frog story I told you before? Climbing up, there's a competition of all these frog, tiny frogs trying to climb up the, the tower. And everybody is trying to discourage all these frogs. You know, oh, you can't do it. Oh, it's too high. It's too difficult. Everybody, but only one little tiny frog managed to reach the top. And everybody asked the tiny frog at the end of it, how did you make it? With everybody shouting and screaming, asking you to give up. How did you make it? And then they found out that this tiny little frog was deaf. Sometimes you need to be deaf. Deaf to everything. And just keep on doing what you're doing. Because you listen to people, you will throw in your towel. So that's the first, first uh, uh, causes of discouragement, external causes, that is ridicule. Secondly, is repression. That's anger. Anger can discourage you. Anger, look at the sun balad. Look at, look at after they ridicule them and they, despite of all that, work with all their heart and build it half high now. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs and the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem walls had gone ahead and the gaps were being closed, 
what happened to them? They were very glad. They were very angry. The word very angry in Hebrew, in Hebrew means burning mad. Burning mad. Why? Because a secure and independent Jerusalem would threaten his hold on the area and undermine his control of the trade route through the region and thus hurting his economy. So for the time being, he dropped his differences with the Ammonites to the east and the Arab to the south and the Palestine to the west. And in anger over what Nehemiah was doing, they all came together, ganged together, threatening to stop the work by violence if necessary. This new work of God in Jerusalem threatened their lifestyle and so they got very angry. Commentator Warren Wiseby uh, says this. He said, God's people sometimes, I would say all the times, God's people sometimes have difficulty working together. But the people of the world, they have no problem in uniting in opposition to the work of the Lord. Is that not true? While we have difficulty working together, they have no difficulty in opposing your work. They have no difficulty. So anger can cause discouragement. Anger can cause discouragement to what you want to do. So those are the two external causes of discouragement, uh, ridicule and repression. Let me just read to you before I move on to the third point, what they plan to do. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. So they plotted come to their gang together and plan, sit down, you know, with the paper, plan how to discourage these people. But I tell you what, external discouragement is not as difficult to handle as internal causes of discouragement. If there is a wisdom in the story of Judas betraying Jesus, the wisdom is that the enemy is always within Civilization died never from murder, always died from suicide. Family breakdown is never from external causes, internal. You have someone, your know, brother in law, sister in law, or distant relatives, or this person like to stir up this, 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 they break down the entire family. Enemy is always within. And so, external causes of discouragement is not as difficult to handle as internal causes of discouragement. And here, we see now the people themselves having issues. So the, the first internal causes of discouragement is fatigue. Fatigue. When you are tired, you can get discouraged. When you are tired, you can get discouraged. Look at what happened in verse 10. You remember they are starting to build. And then they are, they are half, half already, halfway through. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, their own people, right? People in Judah, their own people is saying, the strength of the laborers is giving out. They are tired. Or I like to say they are punted already. Like a tire, punted. The phrase giving out carries the idea of staggering, tottering, stumbling. And when you are physically tired or mentally tired or emotionally drained, it is very easy to become discouraged even at the slightest problem. You will read everything wrongly. 
you begin to join dots wrongly. This person says something, you can just join it to this. Hey, how did it happen? Eh? We like to join dots. Did you realize you like to play detective? You form your own story in your mind. And let me tell you, 80% of the time, you join wrongly. Wrongly. And so when you are fatigued, when you are tired, you begin to get discouraged. Physically, emotionally, mentally, you are drained, you are tired, and therefore you get discouraged. So the internal causes of discouragement, first and foremost, is fatigue. It's getting onto them. The strength of the laborers is giving out. And there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Secondly, frustration. While there is uh, fatigue, frustration is another internal causes of discouragement. You begin to get frustrated. You're going to get angry, frustrated. Why? Look at this. You said the strength of the laborer is giving out. And there is so much rubble. There's so much rubble around that we cannot rebuild the wall. This is from the previous one. It's been burned down, torn down. They're everywhere, lying everywhere. You know, get agitated, get frustrated when you start to look at all this kind of messiness around the, the, the place. You know, you, you get frustrated, get angry. Another boy, the debris here, another mortar here, another broken rock here. So the rubble begin to cause discouragement. They lost sight of their goal. Why? Because they were distracted by the rubble. And whenever we focus on the rubble instead of our objective, we will get discouraged. That is why last week I tell you how do we work together. First and foremost, we must know that the purpose of doing the work is for the glory of God. If we can keep that in line, then we become less petty about small little things. Small little things. Don't let pettiness, small little things fuss you up, drain your emotional energy. Even in relationships, don't let small little things drain you emotionally. It's not worth the energy. Don't fight over buying $10 thing and up you put it in the fridge and throw it away. One young couple came to me and, and, and told me that my wife is always like that. You know, buy Dolly's food when it's very cheap and then ended up put it in the fridge, never use and throw it away. Waste money. I say, I have learned to waste that $10. It's not worth the fight. Can you spend $10? Why want to waste your emotional energy on these kind of things? It's not worth wasting this kind of unnecessary small emotional energy. Waste the $10, throw it away. Just treat it as have a cup of coffee. It's okay. You have your own idiosyncrasies as well. Everybody has. It's not worth that kind of silly emotional energy wasted on 10 bucks. The most relationships struggle fight over trivial things. Trivial. Unnecessary. Frustration comes in, will discourage you. It will discourage you. By the way, you know what I told a young couple? I said, not just, not just only happen to young couples, I said. It happens to many old couples as well. And it continues for 30, 40 years as well. Yes? Yes? Amen? <laughs> so the young couple, oh, really? I thought it's only us. I say, you're dreaming. It's not just you. We're all very similar. We're cut from the same piece of cloth. So, read it. fatigue, frustration, discourage people. Look at all these rubbles around, you know, this messiness. 
They say in the middle of a project spells disaster. In the middle of every project always spells disaster. Always. But when you hang in there, it will get better. And most people give up when it is half built. Unfortunately, when the good things are about to come, they already given up. All the energy and the effort that they have trade in before they rip up if rip up the fruit of their labor, they already give up. Unfortunately. Thirdly, fear. Fear will also discourage you. Fear will discourage you. And the Jewish people bearing a war, they were crippled with fear and they were discouraged. Let me just read verse 10 again. Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the laborer is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the war. I forgot to emphasize that phrase. These laborers are tired. There's so much of rubble that needs to clear. We cannot rebuild the war. Also, fear starts to creep in now. Also, our enemies said this. Before they know it or seize us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. And then the Jews who live near them came and told us, ten times over, wherever you turn, they will attack us. Wherever they turn, they will attack us. So fear begins to cripple them. You know, the most affected by, people who are most affected by fear are those live near pessimistic people. And so if you want to limit the depressing thoughts that bring fear into your life, then it's best not to hang around with very negative people. No, I'm not talking about people who provide honest, genuine feedback, constructive feedback, raising your mind to talk about, have you considered this? What is this? This is normal discussion, which we all need people who are like that, which we all have many minds to think together. They say if only one, if, if, if there's only uh, uh, one decision or, or no discussion, then uh, there's only one person doing the thinking. And so, so we're not talking about those constructive, positive, genuine context of sharing about considering consequences and all that, and eventually you abandon the project or whatever. We're not talking about those things, right? We're talking about people who just in a habitual, negative, just anything you say, they will come down with a bucket of water uh, and pour down on you. And so fear begin to cripple them. If we continue to proceed, the opposition, the enemy say that they are going to attack us and they're going to kill us. So this is a genuine fear. And, 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 and it discourages us. What to do? Did you know that if you, if you, those, who, those who most fear to die, as they said, are the ones who most fear to live? And that in running away from death, we are running away from life. Uh, Anthony DeMello, in the book, The Way to Love, uh, says this. He said, think of a man living in an attic, a little hole of a place with no light and little ventilation. He fears to come down the stairs because he has heard of people falling downstairs and breaking their necks. He would never cross the street because he has heard of thousands who have been run over on the streets. And of course, if he cannot cross a street, how will he cross an ocean or a continent or one world of ideas to another. The man cling to his hole of an attic in an attempt to ward off death. And in doing so, he has simultaneously warded off life. When you fear to die, you fear to live. 
you only live when you are not afraid to die because you dare to live fully. Uh, Douglas Rumford, in his book Sacred to Life, uh, he cited a study that shows why we shouldn't let fear rule our lives. He says 60% of our fears are totally unfounded. 20% are already behind us. 10% are so petty, they don't make any difference. 5% are real, but the 5%, we can't do anything about them. Only 5% are real, that we can do something about them. So your real fear, only 5%. And those 5% are the things that you actually can do something about them. Beyond that, you can't do anything. And so, the internal causes of uh, uh, discouragement is, is fatigue, frustration, and fear. Fear. Let me now move on with the remaining time that I have. I want to give you three cures for discouragement, all right? Based on this passage. Uh, three cures for discouragement, which I hope it will help all of us as we move on our lives, building uh, individual lives as well as the church. Firstly, request God's help. Remember, you are a Christian. God is always and must always be in the picture. God's help is readily available. He is as close as the mention of His name. Request God's help. Look at what uh, Nehemiah do when he had the first setback. He said, hear us, our God. He always bring back to God. Hear us, God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in the land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight. For they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. Lord, we need your help. These people are ridiculing up. These people, opposition, are blocking the advancement of your work. God, deal with them. He was praying for his enemies to become he wasn't praying for his enemies to become believers, but instead for God to judge them. The prayer was not nice, but it was understandable and honest because he knew that the enemies were really fighting against God and so he asked God to deal with them. And, and how do we square his prayer with Jesus' prayer? Where Jesus on the cross prayed uh, that God forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Nehemiah is not Jesus. He's an ordinary citizen. And secondly, he's not praying for himself. There's no personal vengeance involved. He is putting on a different cap as a leader of a country, rebuilding the war. And he's putting on a different cap, fighting against invading armies. And so we have to distinguish between personal ethics and corporate ethics. Personal ethics must always be love. Love must prevail on personal ethics. No matter how people wrong us, we must do our best to pray for goodwill for them. That is our personal ethic. But corporate ethics, it should be justice. Remember that. Personal ethics, love, corporate ethics is always justice. But unfortunately, in this country, we swap it around. Personal ethics is justice, but corporate ethics is love. Therefore, crooks and criminals, they don't get punished because overwhelmingly compassionate about them and just have a slap on their wrist, 20 hours community service or this and that, you know, that, that's it, you know. Uh, that is wrong. Personal ethics must be love. Corporate ethics must always 
be justice. And for in this instant, Nehemiah is wearing the cap of a leader. You know, even as a pastor, my personal decision and the church as a pastor sometimes can be different because you are thinking differently. You're thinking differently as an ordinary church member and as a pastor. It has to be different. It has to be different. So we have to understand that, that you must give some space to why certain decisions need to be made. And so Nehemiah is not loving or whatever, but because he's building the wall, there are, there are real enemies there. And we have to fight against those real enemies. Not that we have no compassion for this and that, that kind of thing, but sometimes on a corporate level, we have to do that. We have to do that. So, the first thing is request God's help. When you're discouraged, you go to God and ask God to help you. Secondly, you have to reorganize your priorities. You have to reorganize your priorities. Not just only pray, but you have to do something. If you're discouraged, you must sit back and do something. Maybe I'm working too hard. Maybe I have to cut back. Maybe I have to reschedule this. I can no longer do this. I can only do that. You know, and you have to reorganize your priorities. This is what they did. All right? Nehemiah said, all right, all this fear, all this frustration, all this, this fatigue, all this, yes, yes, these are all genuine concern. Let, let's see what we can do, all right? He said, therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the most exposed areas. I stationed some guards there, posting them by families with their swords, spears, and bows. And after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the nobles and the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid. Remember who God is? And you fight for your families, your sons, your daughters, and your wives and your home. And when I see what happened when they did that, when our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, then we all returned to the war, each to our own work. So they were discouraged, they were fatigued, they were frustrated, they were fearful, and then... Nehemiah just reorganized the property. Okay, it's a legitimate one. Let's post some guards here. And this, 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 done all this. Okay, now they all can return back to and rebuild the wall. And from that day on, Nehemiah said, this is not just a once-off. Once he said, from that day on, half of my men did the work. Never mind it was slower. He said, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows, and armor. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. So sometime in life, when we are discouraged, we just need to reorganize our priority. We just have to sit back and say, well, you know, we need to, we need to do some, something about it. When we are discouraged, one of the things we can do is to reorganize our priorities. You can look at your life. You can adopt a change in approach instead of becoming so discouraged that you quit. Your marital problem, don't bail out. Change your approach, adopt a new attitude, get some help problem with your job, don't give up, maybe change your priorities, cut back, and all kinds of things you can do about it when we are discouraged. So, request God's help, reorganize your priorities, and last, and last one, don't forget this when you're discouraged. Can you help me, uh, Jason? Remember who God is. Remember who God is. Remember who God is. 
Nehemiah never failed to bring that to his people. He said, after I looked things over, I stood up and I said to the people, he said, don't be afraid of them. Why don't be afraid of them? Don't be afraid of Sambalat, Tobiah, and all these enemies around. Don't be afraid of them. Why? Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. When you remember that the Lord is great and awesome, you then begin to be able to fight for your families, your son and your daughters, your wives and all that. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Next week is Palm Sunday. I will stop the series over the Easter period. Next Sunday, I want to preach a sermon. And the title of my sermon is called We Need a God We Cannot Understand. I always find why would Christians want a God who they can understand? What for? If God is a God that you can understand, you know how small this God is? Your this finite little mind of 25 years old can completely unpack Him. We have a problem among Christians. We have a problem of recognizing this God that we worship, how great and how awesome He is. We just have a problem with that. Our view of God is too small. Far too small. Far too small. And I want to explore the whole topic of we need a God that we cannot understand. Based on the book of Job. In the book of Job, there's anything to teach you is that. Is that God is vast, amazing, awesome, great. There's no vocabularies can ever able to contain to describe this awesomeness and greatness of this God that we worship. And, and, and Christian fallacy is, if we get discouraged, we get problematic and all that because our view of God is so small. So small. You say, remember this God. Remember that He is a faithful God. Remember His promises. Remember His goodness. Remember His power. Our God is great. And awesome. Remember Him. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. And when you remember that, you will rub your sleeve and you are able to fight for your families. And I like what G.K. Chesterton had a quote that says, when we fight, alright? When we fight, it's not because we hate those who are in front of us. We fight because we love those who are behind us. You love your family, you love your son, your daughters, your granddaughter, your grandson, your great-granddaughter, your family. You fight because you love all those people behind you, not because you hate those persons in front of you. And that should be the Christian attitude when we fight for social justice or whatever that may be uh, about uh, freedom of religion and all that, because we are loving those who are behind us and we have to fight for that. You know, the people complain about all the rubble verse 10. I asked myself a question. Wasn't the rubble there in the first place when it first started? Isn't it there? It was there, right? So what's the problem? How come halfway through they're beginning to get discouraged about the rubbles? Because why? They missed out on focusing on God. They start to focus on the rubbles. And because they begin to focus on the rubbles, they become what I call rubber gazers. Instead of God gazes. You look at God. Look at God. And so my friend, 
the cures for discouragement is you look to God. You request for God's help. You reorganize your priorities. You remember this God that you worship. Opposition, discouragement is part and parcel of the landscape of humanity, of Christian living. It's, it's normal. Don't, don't, don't you look for this utopia time of your life where you are traveling smoothly and no problem. This is it's not going to happen. Historian Will Durant said this. Well, listen to this. He said, Rome remained great as long as she had enemies who forced her to unity, vision, and heroism. When she had overcome all her enemies, she flourished for a moment and then began to die. Opposition kept Rome strong. Opposition kept us strong. It's part and parcel of the landscape in your marriage, in your family, in the church. It's part and parcel. We just need to have some setback, advance, setback, and advance, setback, and advance until Christ returns. So discouragement can be defeated. Can be defeated. Let me close with this. Uh, I have used this before. I've said this sometime before, but I hope it brings you encouragement uh, on this topic of discouragement. Brings you encouragement on this topic of discouragement. Uh, uh, it has been attributed to Mother Teresa. Nowadays, we just need to write something and put some important name below and say it is a person uh, because they found this plug in their orphanage. But I did some research. Actually, uh, Mother Teresa took it from something and reworded it a little bit. It's been attributed to a guy called Ken Keys. He says this. Basically, the plug said, anyway. Anyway. People are often unreasonable, irrational, and self-centered. Forgive them anyway. If you are kind, people may accuse you of selfish, ulterior motives. Be kind anyway. Don't let them affect you. If you are successful, you will win some unfaithful friends and you will make some genuine enemies. Succeed anyway. If you are honest and if you are sincere, people may deceive you or cheat you be honest and sincere anyway. What you spend years creating, others could destroy overnight. Create anyway. If you find serenity and happiness, some people may be jealous. Be happy anyway. The good you do today will often be forgotten tomorrow. Do good anyway. Give the best you have and it will never be enough. Give your best anyway. Why? That's the last one, the punchline. In the final analysis, it is between you and God. It was never between you and them. Yes? Between you and God. Father, we thank you for your word. We 
We thank you that uh, discouragement is a universal problem, is a recurring problem, and is highly contagious. Uh, it can affect all of us all the time, sometimes, some more frequent than others. And we have all sorts of external discouragement that come our ways, that people will ridicule us, people will be angry with us. And there are all sorts of internal discouragement that comes our way of fatigue, of frustration, fear. But we thank you that as we look at the story of Nehemiah, he knows how to overcome discouragement, even though it may be recurring. He requests God's help. He reorganizes his priorities, and above all else, he always and always and always and always remember the God we worship is great God and awesome God. And when this God is with us, nothing can be against us. Thank you, Lord. You are good God. I pray for anyone here this morning, Lord, that we are struggling with discouragement. We're going to throw in the tower. We try, we try, we try. Uh, we want to give up. Uh, Lord, may you minister to them. May you speak to them. May you revive them. May they give them hope. They are, our God is an awesome God, a great God, that they will never give up hope. They request your help. They reorganize your priorities. They press on for Jesus. Rekindle the passion and the love for us once again, even corporately as a church. As we close, Lord, uh, Lord, we ask for your spirit to touch this church and revive us once again. We thank you, Lord. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we close this time with this beautiful song? Spirit, touch your church. Lord, we need your grace and mercy. We need to pray like never before. We need the power of your Holy Spirit to open. Church, stir the hearts of men, revive us, Lord, with your passion once again. I want to care for others like Jesus cares for me. Let your rain fall upon me. Let your Before you, we don't deserve of you what we ask, but we yearn to see your glory restore this dying spirit touch your church.